And that's it. The don't no more specific than that. Twenty twenty three. Wait, in twenty twenty two, we redacted from redacted, and we just wanted to say redacted. Yeah, exactly. Yes, excellent. Sounds great. <laughs> don't say. Don't I say. Think. Don't say we. I'm confused. <laughs> excellent. Okay. Oh. You're listening to the John Chi Show. Hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The John Chi Show. It's your boys, KJ, Nathan, Patrick, coming at you with the second episode of the new year. How you doing, yeah. fellas? And technically the first of the Lunar New Year. Oh, mm-hmm. you're not wrong. Yes. Ah. Happy so year, year of the rabbit. Or year of the not rabbit if to any <laughs> cat. of our Vietnamese listeners. Yes. I just found that yes. out on Sunday that, that uh, they're not in the same cycle, I guess. I don't know. I don't I don't know. We found that, that out on and when I was in DC. Weird. <laughs> That's weird. Also found that out. Yeah. All right. I found out right. via social media. So, you know, hey. Yeah, we all have our ways. I guess we all we're all up. learning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have people who are more informed than us who are telling yeah, us. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> knowing is half John. the battle. We Remembering won. is the other half. <laughs> so, no, nah, how you doing, guys? Great. Enjoying. Did you guys? Uh, I saw you celebrated a little the the New Year, KJ, on uh, on with some friends. Some yeah, it was great. We uh, we friends. got to hang out with uh, previous guests, uh, Jennifer. Holcomb Patel and Stephanie Dranka, who are both local. Um, we actually would have had some others, but they had to drop out due to sickness or just life events and things. Um, no, it was really, really fun. It was nice to be able to celebrate and just be like, I don't know, watch the Cowboys lose and just be like, ah, the Cowboys. So <laughs> it felt very right and appropriate, um, even in the them midst losing of or the, like, the tra- no, 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 just the whole gathering. <laughs> I mean, also kind of them losing, but uh <laughs> It wasn't it wasn't fun per se, but I was like, yeah, that tracks. Um, no, it, was, it just was nice to be in that space. I think, especially given what happened in Monterey Park, just mm-hmm. to be with Asian Americans and adoptees who are like on the other side of their revelations, and uh, we could just be there, and it didn't have to be a thing. Um, all our partners understand. You know, uh, it didn't have to be a thing. It was allowed to be a thing, uh, but mostly we were just there to gather and there to enjoy each other's company. And it was really nice. So um, I appreciated it. Yeah, I was jealous. It looked like a good time. What about you, Patrick? What'd you do? Uh, I didn't really do anything. Did you eat doku? I did not. I did not. Uh, I failed in my stated mission to achieve that which I had not achieved yet in the previous two years of the show. In... At some point in your life, you're yes. gonna make it, and you'd be like, "I don't know why I put this up, put making this off for so long. It's At so easy point. and it's so, so good. easy. Yeah, it is. Next year, I'm gonna send you a recipe, the one that I made this year. Next year, it I'm literally come over your is house five and ingredients, you. and yes, you'll be I good. like K- oh, I like what KJ said. <laughs> Nathan, I will accept your recipe gift, but I will also accept <laughs> no, I'll KJ accept it for it you, for and oh, then be okay. like, "All right, Nathan sent this, and I'm here to, to cook it for you. Nice, you poor, I, I appreciate that. old man. Thank you for helping me out." Um, no, I didn't really do anything. Uh, I was traveling last week for some Dear Asian Americans events and felt like that was kind of my Lunar New Year celebration, you know, all week, uh, in Boston to DC, we're doing 
things that were about celebrating the community. So I was being, I was able to see a bunch of friends, some adoptee friends in both cities, um, which was really nice. And then Sunday, I've just felt really tired um, from travel. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm ready to just be home and hang out with my wife. And then, yeah, waking up to Monterey Park and being like, okay, everything's terrible. Why, why can there never just be the one <laughs> one day where things are just good? Chill. And yeah. it's just, yeah, when something objectively terrible is not happening. Um, so it was that. So I didn't really do anything. We just, like, watched movies and just generally I just kind of, like, sat in the kind of fallout of what was going on there and doom scrolling and all all of mm -hmm. that but what did you do did you have plans or celebrations that you were doing uh so i i, I made like i said i was going to um make hey, we get he it did what he said he was, said was going to make it do. he's and a man so, of his well, word what i told you guys i think uh last week or prior to making it is um you know i just wanted to make it just because I, here's one of the things that I enjoy is watching my kids eat it. Mm. And I don't know what it is about that. Allison, asked, uh, my wife asked me about why do I enjoy making it for my kids or why do I enjoy watching my kids eat it? And uh, I really think that I'm watching them eat it and them enjoying it. Um, and I just like providing something that's part of their culture that I didn't get to experience myself as a kid. Mm. You're redoing your childhood vicariously exactly. through your children, kind yep. of. And then it's not, watching it's them almost appreciate. almost reincarnation. Yeah. <laughs> In a way. I mean, it's yeah. also making new traditions, you know. Yeah. So watching them expect it maybe now every year. Um, because when I brought it out, um, my son goes, oh, this is this is my favorite soup. And it's not really his favorite soup, but he was just saying it's his favorite <laughs> soup. Cause, you know. Wait, what's his favorite soup, really? Honestly, I don't know. Campbell's chunky <laughs> probably, No, actually, yeah. it's probably just a regular udon, like just a oh, Japanese yeah. udon, yeah, with the regular broth. That's probably his favorite. But or actually, no, sorry, I take that back. It's pho. Yeah, he really oh, knows pho. He's eaten. Fuzz. He's eaten Acceptable. an adult size bowl of pho before. Acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, so yeah, I just I enjoy that. I enjoy that aspect. Um, and then my wife also asked me uh, because I sent a picture of it to my biological family in Korea. It's like, hey, you know, um, happy new year. Uh, and here's some soup that I made. <laughs> They're probably thinking, oh, this is very common, you know, no big deal. But at the same time, I'm wondering if they actually think it's kind of cool seeing me as someone who wasn't raised in this culture make it and try to re-experience it. Um, Did they respond to your picture? Yeah, they just said, you know, things like happy, healthy, you know, life. We're so happy that you're doing well and, you know, happy new year and all that stuff. It's traditional kind of things. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I enjoy that part of it. So, yeah. Are you guys yeah. going to start any new, uh, like a new year's tradition that you have of your, you know, lunar new year tradition, I guess? Um, I mean, for me, it's just that. You know, if knowing's half the battle and remembering's the other half of the battle, it's the remembering bit that is important to me. <laughs> mm. uh, I was just saying, I was like, I got to get used to all the Korean traditions and the rhythm of Korean traditions in my life. Like, I'm the same way. I, I love tokuk. I think it's delicious. It's a, a dish that I look forward to. Um, and it is really special because we do have it at New Year's and or mm. Lunar New Year. Um, so it's, yeah. So I, I look forward to that. I look forward to just having that be a rhythm in my life. 
Um, it's already a special soup. Um, but I just got to remember <laughs> like what to do. I think Lunar New Year is easier than like Chuseok because like many other cultures celebrate Lunar New Year. And so like there's more general hoopla in the broader American culture. Uh, whereas Chuseok is pretty specific, I think, um, to South Korea, even if like other cultures have harvest festivals around necessarily at the same time or the same, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so um, it's just, it's a nice rhythm for me. And you hung out with Jennifer uh, and you said Stephanie too, but didn't you hang out last year with Jennifer also? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. that's another bit of like, no, I'm not like, there. that's not like yeah. a, it's like, it is a tradition. It's not something that like we're holding fast to, but <laughs> I think there's like a, there is a sense of like adoptee family and yeah. adopt like mm-hmm. Korean adoptee family that um, we get to grow and we have the privilege of being okay. It's been like, both of us be like, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like just figuring it out, which I think is fun. And even, even sometimes like with my own family, I would feel more pressure to like be the expert or be more learned. And, uh, with the Patels, like, you know, when we, when all of us gather, it's just like, I don't know, we're just figuring out and we're going to eat foods we like. And, and there's like no pressure to know anything or to do anything. Um, that's just nice. That is nice. So I also have another little small story. So when I sent to you guys, um, you know, I just said Happy Lunar New Year, um, even though, you know, the circumstances and, you know, of course it was the, I was talking about the negative uh, um, stories or the horrible story from uh, Monterey Park and everything. Um, But that was prior to my, the rest of the day. And we went sledding, and unfortunately, during our sledding uh, um, adventure, my eldest son went headfirst into a bush and almost lost an eye. No, almost uh, lost an eye. It, well, it went, it missed his eye by about an inch, and it scraped right through his uh, the top of his ear and his head. Oh uh, no! The, the hospital. We didn't know if it was going to be stitches or just glue or something like that. But he was there for three hours. So that was the remaining portion of our Lunar New Year was was unfortunately a trip to the to the hospital. Dang. But, um, yeah. Well, at least he didn't get sick. He didn't get sick, and he's <laughs> he's okay. He didn't lose an eye. He didn't lose an ear. He's good. Yeah. He just, and he he was very brave about it. He just has a gash on his forehead or his above his ear right now. You got a so, so was he sledding scar. on? Was he like belly Head down? First. Yeah, head, head first, first, and he couldn't stop. Belly down, and he, and I was <laughs> I was at least ten feet away, and I couldn't get to him to help stop him, and he just went boom right into the bush. Ugh, yeah, man. so that happens. Got to wear yeah, goggles. Yeah. <laughs> or, or learn to All jump right. off the sled. I think too. Yeah. Or well, I mean, if you're off. not going to jump off the sled, get them goggles on. <laughs> it helps. Well. I, I swear. <laughs> okay, I forgot what well. we were doing. But this is an intro to an episode, I believe. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> no, we is. have a great interview today. So, yeah, uh, yeah. do you want to introduce our guest, sort of, or preview the interview, Patrick? Um, yeah, I'll preview the interview by saying that the conversation we just had is kind of like the conversations we have in this interview. Um, <laughs> they're far-ranging, they're kind of all over the place, but uh, our guest is an excellent, eloquent storyteller. He shares mm-hmm. a lot of everything that he's got going on in his life. And I thought that he was really, really generous with his story. Um, really excited to be able to share that. Jonah Nye is our guest. You might recognize him from a little show called Baking It. Is that the show name? 
Yes, but okay, also perfect. I don't know if you would recognize him because you don't necessarily see his face like, unless you look at the show art. But well, if yeah, you've watched a semi-finalist. the show, yeah, if you've watched the show, then you would recognize him. But if you haven't watched yep. the show, then you may have not. Yep. So baking yeah. it is uh, an American Bake Off competition on Peacock. He was on season one. It's very Christmas themed. So maybe like if you're not really feeling like festive, <laughs> uh, just watch the highlights and stuff. But he gets into a lot of his adoption story on that show. Uh, yes. And so we talked to him a little bit about that and and what's going on. Oh, my cat just came in. That's why the door opened. Uh, so yeah, we get get into that and more. And yeah, like 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 you said, Patrick, he was just so generous with his story and i think all three of us at some point looked up and realized 15 minutes had passed and we were like oh we need to cut because this is a long episode but it's just so engaging and so fun um could have talked forever yeah, yeah Joanna yeah, was absolutely. very very great uh, gracious and, and a lot of fun so really so we're excited to, uh, for you to hear the interview so without further ado we're gonna roll that tape roll it Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the interview portion of the John Chee Show. Um, we have with us today very special guest. Jo- I wait, gosh, dang it! This is classic John Chee. Jonah, how do you say? How do you say your last name? <laughs> Don't ever think it, it's English. Nye. Nye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I. It's not even. I was just like. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, is it yeah. name? Yeah. I was like yeah. adding letters into it, but it's fine. Jonah Nye. Jonah, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for making this podcast in general. I wish I knew guys like you growing up. Oh, I, I also wish that. I knew guys like my co-host growing <laughs> up. That yeah, would have been would have been really fantastic. We said that last hour. episode too. Yeah, yeah ask me nice. in an hour if I feel that. <laughs> yeah, that, all right, that's he's honest. Like, you're allowed. He's to just he just cuts out at 20 minutes. He's just like, gone. You know what? Like Jonah I'm hated done. us and he left. So we're gonna complete this episode in a different way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I famously said I want nothing to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. I mean, it would be a pretty big episode. I think people would listen. Be like, yeah, I think so. Why did they post that? Right? <laughs> Why did they choose to air that one? Controversy. Well, to be fair, we're not we're not as funny as uh, Andy Samberg and uh, my Rudolph. So we'll get yeah. there. Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Foreshadow alert. Um, Jonah, we're gonna kick this off the way that we kick off all of our interviews and ask us, ask you to tell us your story. Sure. So I thought I, I would just sort of outline, you know, times of my life a race and ethnicity have surfaced the most prominently, and then you can dig in wherever. Um, my life's pretty much an open book at this point, having cried on TV, making cookies, talking about <laughs> my adoption story on NBC. So um, so I'll just give sort of a basic sketch. Um, and this could be one of your shortest intros yet, since my relationship to my Korean heritage is summed up as basically zero. <laughs> um, you know, typical of the late 70s, my records were sealed. It was a completely closed adoption. So I was born in San Francisco in 1979 and almost immediately placed by Catholic charities into a home. Uh, my older sister is also adopted, but she was born in Korea around 76. And then my younger brother, who passed away recently during the worst of COVID, is biological to my parents. So my parents, uh, my mom, is, or they're both white. My mom's Russian, Jewish, Irish descent. And then my dad, it's not fair, but I just sum up as from Texas because European-Americans <laughs> not really, you know, like a thing. So and, and that kind of encapsulated some interesting ties to Southern politics. I was going to say, I um, feel like just saying from Texas... <laughs> 
<laughs> currently yeah. living in Texas and growing up here, that's like that. That says a lot about your. Yeah, it's, it's its own planet. It you know maybe someday um, it'll be recognized as its own you know ethnicity. <laughs> but um, you know, so it's. <laughs> I don't know if I want that anymore. <laughs> He's like, I'm moving. When I was younger, yeah. I was like, yeah. And now I was like, oh God, that's that sounds bad. And like tiny Texas too, not like fancy Texas, like right on the um, border of Oklahoma. So my great uncle, who I never actually met, was the governor of Oklahoma at some point. Um, and I used all his paraphernalia for my illustrious sixth and seventh grade student council runs. So um, anyway, so I was mainly raised in Minnesota and then later moved to Virginia, Wisconsin, Massachusetts, and now New York for the last 16 years. Um, I would say my first awareness of race is really, I remember it very clearly, age five, kindergarten in Minnesota. I was playing a game with a friend um, at recess, Camille Erickson. If you're out there and listening, thank you for my <laughs> thank racial you for listening. Shout out. And thank you for listening to the show. Great. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, actually, um, yeah, that'd be the better thing. <laughs> That would be pretty amazing, a reunion. We were playing Speak and Spell, which is an old, early 80s game where it's exactly what it sounds like. You try to spell words. And she asked me if I was Black, and I truly did not know. I was the darkest uh, kid in the class, but this is Minnesota, so... I truly didn't know. Um, If memory memory serves, I did tell a few people that day I was Black. Um, So then I fact-checked at home. I went home and asked my mom. I'm sure she was thinking, well, this isn't going to be the doctor of the family, but that's okay. I married one later. Um, so I, she, 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 uh, she explained to me, of course, that my skin color was brown, a by adoption story. Um, you know, she said in the past, people would say, you know, the skin was yellow. We don't say that anymore. Of course, as a five-year-old, all I heard was yellow. Um, and also it was, you know, the thing that was you were taught to say at that time was that race didn't matter. You know, we don't wash over differences like that anyway. But um, I went back to school. I told everyone I was yellow. And mm. that caused quite a stir in class, just out of, like, curiosity. And if you look at all of the drawings that my parents saved from that <laughs> that era, all the stick figures are yellow. So it's it's really, you know, your your understanding of race and culture is so set, is set so early. Um, particularly I nuanced it, also. Exactly, exactly. A five-year-old's awareness of of the implications of it and the right things to say. Um, you know, I would say it's too bad that the advent of all those genetic testing kits uh, didn't happen until later because as an adult taking 23andMe, um, I was hoping for some sort of big reveal, but there was none. <laughs> I am, in fact, Asian. And um, every year, in fact, uh, it does oscillate good. <laughs> If you've ever taken those tests, they're hilarious because um, the majority it comes back as Korean with a small bit of Japanese. And then some years I'm 0% Chinese and some years I've been high as 16% because the data set changes. Whoa. Um, My so sisters have fluctuated really like that too. Yeah. She's had that same yeah, fluctuation. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to take a screenshot. I don't know what I am for. Uh, I know 22, in 2022, I was not part Chinese, but maybe this year I'll be back <laughs> to a little bit Chinese again. But it's it's always, um, it's, it's actually a great illustration to show people the difference between race and ethnicity. I'll be like, you know, about the construct mm-hmm. and about politics and, and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, so almost all the Asians I knew were adopted in Minnesota. I grew up thinking names like Jonah, Ari, Naomi, Ambelia, that these were, you know, Asian names. Um, I would say... The comic and strange ways uh, that my background has surfaced over life has been in performance or in public life. 
certainly relationships later. Um, but I started singing professionally when I was 17 in opera. And what I liked about opera was the baseline is a suspension of disbelief, right? Everyone's singing all the time, usually in a foreign language. Um, so I didn't ever feel like my race was a hindrance uh, in that art form, uh, in as it would be in more literal forms, like, you know, straight theater or something like that. Although my first performance, my first professional performance actually was in a very strange French opera where I played a Chinese teapot. So I'm not really sure <laughs> Like that was great for the movement, but <laughs> in any case, that the, the opera is about voice and the music, so I kind of like that. Um, in grad school, I did a bunch of commercials just for extra money, and those were areas where you know there were very much casting calls like we need Asians and blacks, or something like really just very blatant uh, calls out for that. So I ended up getting a bunch of very very strange and comic um, black roles. I didn't get any calls back from fresh off the boat. But, um, no, the, the best commercial I ever did was for Chevy truck. And um, a friend of mine was at a casting agency. He's like, Jonah, you should call this. So I call, I said, Hey, I saw your listing. You need Asians and blacks. I said, I'm Asian. They're like, great, why don't you come in tomorrow? Do you have a female friend who's Asian and who's attractive? And I had just done a show with this woman who's beautiful. She's Japanese, Irish, Italian, and she's very small. We made a cute couple in um, Pirates of Penzance. So I brought her in. Now, we're off, we're stage people. We have no idea how to do film. They asked us to pretend like we were getting in a truck and just comment generally how great it is. Um... And so she mimed that she was like pregnant with her future child. I look like I was about to mount a horse because I have no sense of proportion for a Chevy truck. They started laughing so hard. And I was like, I'm sorry, guys, but like Asians don't buy these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Texas. Yeah. Like, I, I did the office thing where you break the fourth wall before that was even a thing. I looked straight into the camera. I was like, Asians don't buy these. <laughs> um, and so they hired us and uh, there is a commercial floating out there they did the same commercial with a black couple and a white couple we saw them all being filmed over 22 hours it's the same mm. thing um but anyways i did one for buzz headphones and some banks and stuff like that i will say i feel a little guilty about it now because of you know how much more aware we are of that and actually stephanie sue just gave us incredible interview about everything everywhere all at once and how she you know shaped her career and she's like i wasn't going to shrink myself into inappropriate you know, cameos of Asian representation, whereas I would get calls. I got a call from a casting agent once saying, um, we need someone who looked like they went to MIT. And I, that's literally the call. And I said, I remember saying that this is racist. How much are we talking? (laughs) This is racist. What's the, how many zeros? How many zeros? (laughs) Is this equity, non-equity? I was like, I got to get a certain amount of hours. Does this count towards that? Like $300 they wanted, um, you know, for a day of something. Uh, there was another thing, too, where I got called in and they were like, we need an Asian who can smoke. Of course, I don't smoke because I was a singer, but I w- it was um, uh, this is when he was still in the discourse. Kevin Spacey it was a movie with him. And they're like, can you smoke in a scene with Kevin Spacey? And I was like, sure, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I think another time, you know, that it raised uh 
it was funny to the moth, you know, the storytelling competition that's it started in New York and then it moved around the country. I did it one night and the theme was ethnicity. And of the 10 of us, three of us did stories about adoption. And I would I would say it was fascinating because the other two were very severe ear stories like you know much like mm. kind of like your last your last episode like really like mm. distressing um you know, maybe um unfortunate placements or people who got separated and have like this big absence where mine was a little little bit more um lighthearted um i would say most recently too and we'll get to it in a second um of course is uh, the show baking it the there was an assumed foreignness to the kinds of food I would cook during mm. the casting um, where I would get questions like, um, do you cook ethnic food? And, you know, I kind of like, well, out. I do make a mean bangers and mash. I try my tacos. <laughs> my, ba- my bagels are very doughy. The yeah. kind that you want. Um, uh, you know, and so uh, we could talk about that more if you want uh, a little bit later. But I, I played dumb and I was like, oh, I think all food is ethnic. What do you mean by that? Um, and then... <laughs> And certainly, and then relationships and dating. So, like mm. American gay male culture is pretty racist. Um, mm. I am old enough, you know, I'm 43, so I'm lucky enough to have narrowly missed the sort of app dating culture. Mm. Um, to have the sort of, you know, you've heard the no fats, no femmes, no Asians trope. So that didn't get to me. But you know, certainly through college, young adulthood, I just really wished I was white. Just would have been so much easier in my mind. Um, having no role models in film, I think uh, I forget which company does like a survey of actors and stuff in, in Hollywood and something like 1% or maybe up to 2% of the leads in major movies were Asian, you know, and that's just pretty recent. Um, and I was always suspicious of people if they wanted to date me, um, mm. you know, like even with my husband, cause he's white. I would, I remember asking him at some point, not casually on a second or third date, what was the race of the person you dated before me? And what was the race of the person before that? <laughs> because I just wanted to see it. You were like, sure. yeah, I don't I don't want to be the only Asian, but I also don't want to be another yeah, exactly. in a line. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I know there's a correct answer to this. And mentally, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the correct answer. He got it. All right, yeah. great, great, yeah, great. And it sees all the way down. 50-50. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only time you want to be 50-50. It's the only time I want to be average. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, where I did not want the Asian A. Um so, and then my professional life now. So I'm a fundraiser for nonprofits. I had a surgery on my vocal cords when I was 26 and stopped singing. Um, mm. So I've, I bounced around and did booking agent work and some other things. And now I've been fundraising for the last 17 years. Yeah, there's only a handful of people who look like me. So since the role is adjacent to great wealth, um, there's all, all the microaggressions that come with that, you know, touching of the hair, referencing to Asians in the wrong way. Um, and uh, so that kind of... That's 43 years of, <laughs> <laughs> of how race has come up. So feel free to dig into whatever part you want or the, the TV show. All right. Well, I really, one, I really appreciate you sharing all that. Two, I like how you let off and said it's going to be the shortest intro we ever had. And you gave us a lot. Like it yeah. was not the shortest. <laughs> Trust me. Okay. We had somebody who was like yes. 10 seconds, I think, which is fine. Yeah, I was like, we've had some, we've, we've had, had like, some real, real short ones. Let's get into so that. So that's what I was like, oh, you're giving us a whole bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. I need to give you something to work with. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. So I think something that I, some, where I wanted to start, I guess, was you talked a lot or you talked at the beginning about how, your connection to Korean culture, really just being Asian American was pretty much zero. Um, yes. But then as you talked about, oops, as you talked about going through and booking roles for like commercials and doing other work, 
all of those roles fell into to being Asian specifically. Um, was that, were you always pursuing Asian roles or were you, were you just like, I'm going after whatever. And then on the other side of that, did playing those roles ever make you feel like, Oh, I want to learn more. Or I'm just like, where I'm just give me the check and here I go to the next job. Yeah. I mean, because opera was my focus, all that stuff was just side money and fun. Mm. And mm. so I didn't take okay. it very seriously. And I remember meeting some actors during those things who were very like, Oh, this is great. We got the Chevy commercial and this is real work. And for me, it was just sort of like a novelty. Okay. Um, and, and I didn't seek them out. They were the only things I'd get called for. So this is in the old days when people would audition, you know, like in a room and I would sit in a room and it would just be people who looked like me waiting to go in. So there was an Amtrak commercial. There was, you know, that I didn't get. There was a Staples commercial, all this kind of stuff. Um, Red Lobster. I really wanted the Gillette shaving commercial mm. just because I thought it would have been hilarious. Yeah. I, know, I know your viewers can't see me, but I didn't shave today and there's not a lot there. <laughs> but, but that's why I wanted it. Like it was just because of the of Gillette show. razor. That would be funny. Exactly. It's such a That's clean hilarious. Yeah. Exactly. I used it a year ago. I haven't yet to use it since. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it lasts for but, 10 years on me. <laughs> that good. Um, but I would only get called in with okay. other Asian people. Yeah. And, and Boston is notoriously racist, too. So it may be different in other places. But Boston, I would say, um, it's fine as a student. I went to New England Conservatory for grad school. It was fun because okay. you're, you're in that little bubble. Um, but when I was an adult, you know, bartending and stuff afterwards, I was like, I gotta get out of here. This is, this is pretty scary stuff, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious, um, if we can jump back, I haven't watched your, the, the episode of baking it where they go into your adoption. Um, yes. but, and, and what, it, what, it, what it reads on your form is that you are a Korean adoptee, but you're domestic transracial adopted, right? Is that That's accurate? right. Okay, great. That's so, um, this is kind of a unique question. What is it like being, or I guess maybe I shouldn't assume, but um, have you spent time with other um, internationally adopted Korean Americans? And what is that like for you being a domestic adoptee in international adoptee spaces? Like, ha have you had conversations with other adoptees and like, what what goes on in your head? Yeah, I would say, yes, absolutely. Well, first, my sister is one. So I always felt like, you know, she had a birth Fair, certificate yeah. that had a Korean name. Um, I've always felt that she was more interested. But I mean, of course, like she was actually there for right. some mm -hmm. period of her life. Um, and for me, I remember asking about trying to differentiate growing up. And my mom's like, you can be president. <laughs> Your sister cannot. That's <laughs> no, a great I, differentiator. Know, that. That's <laughs> what my sister and I talked about all the time. My sister was so pissed off that we couldn't become yeah. the president. Oh, yeah. No, I remember being pretty brother. pissed off about that, too. Yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like little brother stuff. I would lord it over her. Um, I would. But I would say that. <laughs> You know, fascinatingly, the people who I've met who have been the most have been more attached or more interested in their origin stories actually have been domestic. I had a friend who just completely uprooted his life after having done a pretty similar um, education as me. And then one day he's like, I'm moving to Korea. Um, he went, I mean, he was also dating almost exclusively white men to exclusively Asian men. I was just like this complete turnaround. Mm. Um, he was trying to get me to join groups, um, not in a bad way, but just like really proselytizing the sort of significance of finding out more about where you came from. And he's moved to Korea and he's there now. I was learning the language. He was like a German major. I mean, he went from straight up, you know, white culture to now 
like he's he's there in Korea and not coming back. So yeah. I've actually found that more um, to be in the cases of domestic adoptees um, who have interest. I remember getting asked in school all the time, like, oh, Jonah, are you going to do Korean camp? This is like in fourth and fifth grade, the other Koreans I knew. Um, and I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I, I was like, no, I want to go to the one that's like outside and you run around. You know, I mean, again, my, you know, fourth grade self didn't have a lot of criteria. I just wanted to do yeah. what was the most fun, you know. So I think that experience of being a domestically adopted Korean person, um, but also being adopted transracially is, in my experience, at least pretty rare. I haven't heard that story a lot. I think I can think of maybe two or three people that I know have something similar to that story. Um, but it seems like, you know a few different people who have experienced that. Did you have a, did you know like a large community of domestically adopted Korean people? I don't know the best way to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, it's domestic Korean people. Domestic or just like... CADs, domestic CADs. Wait, okay. does that make sense? Domestically yeah, adopted works. Yeah. CADs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Korean growing, up, growing up, I thought it was just, again, like I said, I thought all the Germanic sounding Asian names were normal. Like I remember my friends Ari von Steinberg and Emilia Steinkraus and Naomi Schultz. You know, this of course is Minnesota, so you have a higher you have a preponderance of like Germanic or you know Scandinavian names. And I just thought that's what an Asian name was. Right. So right. um you're like, well it's not Smith, there, so I, it must be Asian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an Olsen. I'm not an Ericsson. But <laughs> all these German Jewish sounding names and also Minnesota has a high density of Asians, although it's Hmong. And so yeah. I just kind of thought, um, I just kind of thought if you were Asian, you were adopted by white people. I just, the, that was the experience I knew. And um, uh, yeah, it just, I, you know, I didn't do a lot of self-reflection about it until later. Yeah. 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 That's, that was going to be my question is, is when did you actually do some, um, you know, realization or searching for a, a, a Asian or a Korean adoptee um, community? Um, <clears throat> sadly, a little bit too late. I think it took me way longer to get comfortable in my skin, you know, and I, I obviously I'm, I like who I am now and I like what I can contribute to the world. But um, I have, unfortunately, like journals from college and, and stuff like that, where I can see I don't have the self-awareness that I have now to superimpose on those memories. I can see very clearly I want to be white. This uh, community uh, is suffocating me. I need to get out of here. I don't know why. Um, I would say I really didn't meet a lot of Asian people until grad school. And that's not because Boston's a particularly diverse place, but because music conservatories do tend to be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and it tends to attract a lot of Asian um, people, although everyone assumed I was a string player or something like that. I did mm -hmm. a gig in, I did a gig in um, Aspen uh, talk about like so that place is like whiter than the cast of friends <laughs> so i went there and i was signing this aspen music festival and i was like registering my stuff and um some local journalist was like hey can we interview you for the local paper i said sure and they said great go get your instrument and i was like sure no problem got it I pointed out my throat and they didn't want to they didn't want to interview me it didn't fit the what the media could consume of like an Asian coming to Aspen for the summer to cool. do whatever yeah yeah right. they're like oh to you don't use their violin? I don't, yeah, I don't instead understand of, 
Yeah, and I, I remember one concert I sang in where someone came up to it, did a piece in German, and a woman came up to me and said, "You sang so beautifully for a moment, I forgot you're Asian." <laughs> and I just, I was, and I was like, because my German was so good. I mean, it was pretty good, but absolutely not what she was saying. Um, so, uh, in any case, I wouldn't say I have a big uh, community of Asian adoptees that I know. I know a few, and sometimes we'll talk about it. Um, Yes, but I, I wouldn't, I, I wish I had a, a little bit of a bigger community. The groups I knew in Minnesota tended to be very Christian, uh, tended to be very evangelical Christian. And that was fun. okay at the time because I was Super raised fun. on Saturdays. I was, yeah, exactly. On Saturdays, I was Messianic Jew to appease my mother. And then on Sundays, I went to an evangelical Christian church, you know, with the youth pastor and stuff. Um, but you know, I don't it's like for the pizza. Yeah, for the pizza tracks. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely <laughs> true. The church I went to, it had a thing called the All Night Blitz when I was in junior high. And if you paid thirty five dollars, you got to go to places like the Mall of America and go bowling from like 10 p.m. until one in the morning, of course, which is an extravagance for a kid that age. All you had to do is go on stage and say that you accepted Christ as your Messiah. For thirty five dollars. For $35. $35. Christ is my man. Here, let's go bowl. What a what a racket. Oh my god. Right when the Mall of America opened, Camp Snoopy was a thing. So we all lined up and we're like, I wanna I wanna ride on that. How hard can it be? Verified hair. I got those sticker, man. Oh my god. That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a documentary in the making. That really yes. is. <laughs> so this honest. is my um the question I'm always so interested in uh is how how does your sexuality play into your understanding of being gay play into your understanding of being an adoptee, being an Asian? Did one come before the other? Were they kind of like in step with each other? Plus, you get all the the funness of like evangelical Christian culture and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so I'm just exactly. curious Super how that all plays together. Well, I, I yeah, it's so, great. Yeah, exactly. It was so much we fun. like rainbows, right? I, I dated everyone. I was prunking. Um, head of the football team. Head of the football captain. Head I don't of even the football know. Team. I have the. I have. I wore the coach? helmet on the football team. I don't know. You, you own the football team. Coach. I was the special master. Um, so <laughs> The uh, well, what's interesting is I think about all these stories about kids, teens who are bullied. You know, I have some trans family members, and I, I see that, and I I marvel at the fact that I wasn't bullied, and I think I wasn't bullied because Asian men are have you know been emasculated in society since the 1800s, right? So we're not seen as sexual romantic leads or anything like that. So my white friends who would later come out in high school, they were bullied and teased. And I was obviously gay, but no one ever teased me for it. And I wasn't teased about my race either. I would say actually the most, the violence against me came much later in life as an mm -hmm. adult. I've been mm -hmm. assaulted on the subway. I've been, you know, um, had knives pulled on me, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. But that came in adulthood. As a child, I wasn't bullied. So I think the, my Asian-ness was almost like an invisibility cloak Yeah. Mm. to anything related to my sexuality. Um, and then, like I said earlier, in this particular in gay culture, now I think it's getting a little bit better, but it, it's pretty, it skews racist and 
white and you know you have to sort of either look like a model or be super skinny or something like that so that that was difficult that's difficult was was the invisibility cloak something of like kind of like a two-way invisibility like we didn't realize that was happening like the like you weren't being bullied for whatever reason and then it shifted once you got to adulthood or were you like oh i am sneaking by i am making it where these other folks are not no i was aware that i was lucky to fly the radar because i could see friends um who would be in the same theater camps and the choirs and like very public types of stuff and um activities and i was like somehow i am not getting i'm not in the crosshairs of this Mm -hmm. you know things getting yelled at but people shoving in halls i just i didn't have any of that so I guess I was saving it up for high school for adulthood because unfortunately, <laughs> you know, it got me on the back end. Um, but I I don't think that's uh, uncommon certainly right now with everything going on in the world. I mean, Indiana University, you know, a couple of days ago. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, you did mention a little bit about you know anti Asian hate and and just um, some other things that you were searching on the internet, which led you to I think very Asian, which then led you to our podcast. Um, what what kinds of things were you searching for when you looked for up uh, you know very Asian and and oh yeah podcasts and stuff. Uh, yeah, so for uh, your listeners, if you don't know the very Asian movement, which you should, it originated with this kick ass journalist Michelle Lee. And- I think she's out of St. Louis and um, a Karen called in and complained about her and called her very Asian in a way that was meant to be derogatory. And she kind of flipped it and turned it into T-shirts now that I bought uh, <laughs> and other merchandise. Um, but I would I would say that um, I wasn't so much searching it out. It's just there's obviously been a dramatic, uh, you know, rise in anti-Asian hate. And living in New York, I see a lot of it. Um, it's certainly at the beginning of the COVID outbreak, I remember, I remember people not like uh, moving away from me on the subway. Mm. And I was mm. like, cool, I get my own chair. Hey, I could clear out a car by like going in and being like, um, but uh, you know, I it, it, and it's hard to tell too because we've hinted, we've talked a little bit about the intersectionality of you know, sexuality and race. And you know, when I was assaulted on the subway in two thousand eight, people were like, "Oh, is it because you're Asian or because you're gay?" And I was like, "You know, I didn't, I didn't have time to check." Like, hey, by the way, could you fill out the survey? Yeah, right. And is like, is it one better than the other for being attacked? Yeah. Like, yeah. Could, you, could you help me? You fill out this hate crime form if you could check a box. Yeah, come back again. Yeah. yeah. Oh god. Yeah. But I think it I think it's part of it. I think it's all tied because again, Asian men are not are seen as somehow weaker and not as masculine by the all-American idea. Um so I, I it's funny. So my my boss at the new school, Dwight McBride, the president, he wrote a book in the 90s or early 2000s called Why I Hate Abercrombie and Fitch. And this, what I, when I remember interviewing with him and saying, uh, you know, this isn't just flattery because it's an interview, but you are a visionary. We talk about, you know, race and sexuality all the time now in mixed company, but you were doing that at a time when you wouldn't. And I remember I had a, you know, a little job when I was 14. I worked across the hall from an Abercrombie and Fitch at the Burger King mm. where I was working. And I really just, I despised it, but I didn't know why. And it's just mm. because it's, you know, so exclusionary. So. I worked at an Abercrombie and Fitch in college and I hated it for that exact reason. I'm like, I don't wow. belong here. 
I'm like, I don't belong here. And I don't know. I don't know. Like it wasn't that the job was terrible. It was like the atmosphere every time you kind of yeah. went in and it felt like people were looking at you or you looking at me specifically. I think they've like, tried. I think oh. they've done a lot. Since oh, it's then, like but, it's miles away. Like, yeah. 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 But the clothes it's like, smell like that for, for weeks after. And you yeah. Know, but I, 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 I completely resonate with that feeling because yeah. when I worked there, I a hundred percent felt that just like, this isn't this isn't for me. And I was always questioned, like, why did I get hired here? I was well, like, remark it's remarkable that you were based on what we know about their hiring practices yeah. now mm -hmm. um, and how they looked at people and rated people and stuff like that. It is it's incredible that you were hired, you know. Yeah, I, because I, I really wasn't was in shape I knew at I that time. <laughs> <laughs> I was not like the guy standing in front of the store with his shirt off. I was just folding clothes in the back. You were like, hey, can you go make stocks as t-shirts? I was like yeah. folding, yeah, just off to the side. They're like, don't stand under the light. Not even good enough to be an extra on a CW Don't stand next to that poster either. Exactly. I think I just knew inherently that I could I could never get a job at a place like that and I think that made me annoyed and and um you know as we know now of course it wasn't something you wanted to be a part of but um yeah, yeah that still exists and I think um certainly after uh the baking tv show and some of the interviews I had during that process um the, the notion of all american kept coming up and I was like okay cool if we get on this then we can be um let's make a point of trying to disrupt that notion to the that we can and to the to uh the credit of the executive producer which is amy polar she allowed us that space to talk about it very very openly i was stunned at the stuff she left in i thought for sure they wouldn't keep any of the stuff about sexuality or even necessarily adoption and mixed race families and chosen family i was like this is all going to get cut it's not it doesn't fit the cozy mm -hmm. <laughs> holiday TV baking show, but it had all made it. So I was really, really happy to see that. So uh, that was that was something I wanted to ask about the show, because I think especially right now, there's there's two twins who are on The Amazing Race who are Korean adoptees and got reunited. Mm -hmm. and like they, they've been sharing that yep. story yes. on that show. And I feel like you see that a lot on competition reality shows is there's an Asian adoptee who finds their way every like four seasons. And then they share a little bit about that. And I think that it's like, and then the stories, I don't know, are, are, are just different. And like, they, they, they get told differently. Um, my wife has made me watch a lot of big brother. And I feel like I've seen a few adoptees come on through there. And I thought, I thought the ways that their stories were told was very interesting. And so you said that, like, they gave you a lot of space to share did you feel like in the moment that that was what was happening or did you feel like they were trying to pull that out of you specifically if whether you wanted to talk about it or not no they really didn't uh pull it because in fact like i was joking earlier when they're like do you make ethnic food and stuff like that at some point it was pretty far into the casting i said look if i can't go on this if you want me to misrepresent myself like i can't keep up the, i can't use matcha and everything right like i'm gonna run out of parties <laughs> if you want me to be an asian baker, also that's japanese y'all yeah, yeah i know i know i know, I know. <laughs> but i'm like if they want like pan asian baking i'm good for like one episode um you want me to go and, get kimchi cake <laughs> exactly. i hear kimchi yeah, is a is a trending right now can you make something with that really delicious gingerbread. um but uh so they wanted our story they didn't draw it out and there were okay. um there were definitely they would um, uh, ask in advance, like, can we talk about this? Mm. And I would say we can talk about this. I don't want to dwell on it, but oh, okay. it's part of the story. And they were like, got it. And so 
what you can't see when you're watching the show, there's about a hundred people on set filming us and there's people prompting us with things like, why don't you talk about such and such? And there's joke writers behind our heads actually for, for at that time it was the host Maya and Andy um, to play off of. And they knew stuff about our bio um, coming in before they met us. So I felt very, very safe. I felt really respected. And again, I really thought there's just no way they're going to allow like the couple because what I like you've said a lot of the adoption stories are not very interesting on these types of shows because they have either one trope it's either the white family <clears throat> saved this child from you know a life of destitution or something like that or there's been some sort of open relationship with the family and it's all right. just yeah beautiful like, and yeah yeah and like life's a lot messier than that and they yes. allowed us to live in, live in that space and i was really glad but it it does speak to the fascination to your point every four seasons or every three seasons there's an adoption story people are fascinated by it i've never understood it of other why why it's so curious why it's so opaque or not legible to the public of like it's a process it happens it's pretty normal but there's like some sort of fantastical um quality about it to some people they just want to know everything you know so yeah. my question was uh, going on the surprising fact that you are surprised about certain things. I read that you actually were surprised that you got on the show because you applied as a joke. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> so um, the initial, so we were the first season, so nothing had been established. And the original casting call was just online. It didn't say NBC. It didn't say you know, my Rudolph or anything. We didn't find out about that stuff until we got there. It was just like, it looked like you know papyrus that horrible font in avatar it's a papyrus <laughs> you know, you know? Yeah. and it's like bakers and your helpers apply for this tv show so my husband sent it to me on instagram and he sent it with the meme of david and moira from schitt's creek fighting in the kitchen over folding in the cheese yeah. Yeah. Um, nice and he just sent it with that and he didn't say anything and so i was at work uh my lunch break and i just filled out the form online and then i um filmed a little video at my desk just you know straight to camera one and i was like hey i'm a diversity bingo card i've seen a lot of these things i can <laughs> i was like i can give you what you need i can look dead-eyed into camera one and say i didn't come here to make friends i can cry and command i can cook <laughs> you know i'm all these things and a casting agent called in three hours and i was like no way this is a scam like what do you want my social security number like, what right. you know like, what, like you're what the is... free middle tile we want you here <laughs> exactly. i was like what is this and then um you know four months of testing on zoom and baking and doing their challenges um talking to producers from like the amazing race because it's an nbc property we had to get interviewed by a bunch of people um and all that kind of stuff they were like you're on. See you next week. We that's only awesome. have like a week and a half. All right, great. Really you're on. It was crazy. <laughs> yep. No, I really yeah. like that. Wait, so you had to do baking challenge before you even got on the show as well? Yeah. So first, they had to see like pictures of like thirty or forty things I'd made at one point, oh, okay. and then <clears throat> they had to see us, or they would send them like five or six videos, like make a pie in this one, make a three tiered cake in this one, that kind of stuff, and tell us why. So I think, uh, and I, I picked up on this pretty early on just because I watch a lot of reality TV. I was like, Patrick, no one at home can eat it. The, you know, to my husband, Patrick, I was like, no one can eat it. The why is going to be more important than the what. Right. And that's what, this, that's what this show is. And so one of the challenges, when there were 18 teams left and they were going to choose nine of us, the challenge was to make um, a puff pastry, a shoe pastry, sorry, a shoe pastry 
And then the flavors had to represent you as a family, as a couple. I was like, I got this. <laughs> so I made it. I was like, Matcha. watch me sell. Watch me sell. <laughs> no, I saved that. I saved that for the gingerbread house. I wasn't going to use all my tricks at once. Um, so I did like, we did it. Uh, what did we do for the flavor? So we did apples and honey for Rosh Hashanah. I dyed them red and green. I, I found some like Christmas tree online. It was a July, but I, I decorated our house for the holidays so that they could nice. see what it would look like. My husband was dying because he's he's like one of those people you get he gets embarrassed if you look at him. So he's like, "This is <laughs> you decorated in July." <laughs> yeah, I had stockings hanging in our kitchen over open flames, and you know he was like, "This is this is too much." I said, "No, no, no, no! You need to put the image in their head that they can see us on the TV." Yep. I would wear pink. I purposely wore pink. He wore blue. I made him wear blue all the time. I said, "This is they want characters. They want um, you know." But to their credit, they did allow us to have a, you know, to share the complexity of the stories. And in one of the episodes, actually, unbeknownst to me, they had approached my mom once I was cast to write a letter about the adoption Mm. and read it. It's very and that was a total surprise. So that was that is, you know, producer magic to to try to get all the feels like Maya Rudolph starts crying. It's, it's, you know, it's all that stuff is all kind of real. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh yeah so um well i want i want to ask about it. i think the letter is is well i, I do want to ask about it like yeah. you said it was a complete obviously a complete surprise um obviously that made it into the show and like you said they kept a lot of that a lot of what you were able to share in which surprised you and i'm wondering kind of now that i believe the show has is that season run its course or is it still air i can't remember <laughs> no, when the uh, film yeah, when the so film Oh, it was December. It's still of running, but I'm 20, like, are there going to be any spoiler <laughs> alerts? It was a long time. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's, okay, we're okay, okay. incredibly yeah. behind the time. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, <laughs> like so, they've already done season two, and he was on season one. Yeah. Okay, perfect, yeah. perfect. Okay, so my, I guess my question is, since they were able to do all of that, and I feel like we we've touched on a little bit that you sharing that story and really having a big community of adoptees was not necessarily in your purview or something that you were thinking about or pursuing a lot. Since this season has has aired and this story has come out, and you've seen what or what have you seen from a reaction standpoint? Are there people who are really in your in the way that you were surprised at kind of the things that you had shared specifically from an adoptee standpoint, um, and then also from your queer identity and 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 that experience, like especially sharing all of those things? What is yeah, that reaction I mean, go, been? Going into it, I knew I was like, "Look, Patrick, we gotta again." My husband says, "Patrick." I don't want to confuse your listeners. No, you're good. You, uh, you, know, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, when you were unconscious and, and uh, we did that show together. Oh, um, yeah. Batching <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blacked out for um, a month. Exactly. You portrayed my Irish American husband on TV. Um, so he, I would say I was very uh, prepared for anything in terms of positive notes and negative notes. Mm. And, you know, they're like, people were like, don't read social media. But of course I had to. It's like, Obviously. of course I'm going to. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, I also knew, and this was something my husband, I think, didn't anticipate, but I anticipated that I would be in the crosshairs and he would not, in a way, not just because of the adoption story, but just because, mm. you know, of my dual faith and all that stuff. So we got everything from, you know, we've had notes from people saying uh, we're in a very small community and um, my kids are you know, in the, I'm pretty sure my kids are in the closet and it was just really amazing to see 
a family like yours and I, I'm a mom. I, this one was like amazing. This um, family was like, I'm just a mom. I want my kids to be happy and to see you too was really great. Um, I've gotten, there was one particularly uh, angry viewer because of the ra- the way I was raised. Um, you know, I said I went to Messianic Jewish churches. Now, if you know what that is, those are people who are raised Jewish and later accept Christ as the Messiah. And so mm. this viewer had a lot to say to NBC, not so much as me. Sure. Um, but being like promoting that not, viewpoint of Judaism. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is not really Jewish. How dare you? This is disgusting. That kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's been a wide range. Not much about race, more about sexuality. Was a, I knew mm. what I said to my husband at the time is like us going on this show will be a provocation for a for basically the demographic they're aiming this show at, which is middle America. You know, mm-hmm. in case you haven't noticed, I'm not Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> I'm not that relatable. I'm not that relatable to that wide middle swath where I'm from. Strangely, it's so funny because I seem like I'm not from there. But you don't talk about hot pockets or puppets where you make jokes on stage with, <laughs> a, with a great strawberry coolie. Um, so because uh, again, you'll laugh. In the Midwest, there's a lot of like casseroles and Jello molds yes. and stuff. Because oh, yeah. like, if oh, you yeah. had to, if you had to make a regional dish, what would it be? I'm like Jello mold. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of a casserole? I don't know. I know. I'm like, I don't know. I put beans um, in it. I think that makes it Mexican. <laughs> and then and carrots make it a salad. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the range of stuff, most of it's been positive. Every now and then one will trickle in. And I'm, I, I'm it's fascinating to me that people that tweet at TV shows. I, I'm oh, like, yeah. Is that a... <laughs> Is that a hobby? I um, do that sometimes. Some and I'm like, why am I doing this? But I don't know how else to be heard. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to mail in a letter to their office. Yeah, and then that would, would require me to do so much more research. We have Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Like to, so. to, to write to NBC. I got, I saw one that was like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to take a shot every time Jonah has to go on one of his journeys, you know, with an eye roll and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm just telling my story. And also, Jeez. you'll be drunk. You will be smashed by the halfway through episode Because <laughs> I laid it out there. Far gone. <laughs> yeah, Further than yeah. any joy. Maybe that was his goal all along. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted you, young lady, in Kansas to get smashed and angry and hate watch making it a holiday christmas show with yeah, my Ruta. with that the cassius jingle plan. in the world yeah <laughs> with yes exactly yeah with andy sandberg who and was very fun to bounce jokes off of i forgot how um uh dirty his sense of humor was. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you're like i don't know i just i've been watching brooklyn 99 but like, yeah but you remember That's the lonely like, island boys and you're like oh, 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 say, oh yeah, yeah. Or, or like this is the man who wrote dick in a box you know that is his last i forgot that you never stop never stopping yeah. never stop never <laughs> stopping <laughs> Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So, okay. I wanted to ask you, you wrote on your, just to refresh your own memory, because it's been a minute, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> on your, why come on the podcast, you wrote, I've seen firsthand how empowering it is for other adopted Asians, especially those in the queer community, to see others like them. I want to inspire others to be themselves unapologetically and fulsomely. Before I get to maybe the question directly out of that, what was the moment for you where you found, like, the initial point of self-love and then what was the the moment when you found like 
whole self-love for like every part of you. Cause for me, I think there was a moment where like, I loved a part of myself fully and earnestly and wonderfully. And then 2020 starting the podcast, all those other things, I found this whole other part of myself that I had to learn to love. And I had to, so it's really not, it's not for me been until like the past six months where I've been like, I love me wholly Mm. completely for every bit of me. So I guess I'm asking, was it, uh, a step-by-step kind of journey or was it kind of all at once, but like, what was the moment that you found that self-love and that self-acceptance? Oh gosh. I mean, I think it would be easy to say, Oh, it was when I was 30, when I turned 30 or when I turned 40 or something like that. I think it varies honestly, day to day, um, depending on what context I'm in, you know? So again, like I said, work can be a, a joyous place, but I'm also adjacent to um, difficult conversations sometimes, and I don't always walk away from those loving myself. Mm. Um, there's some contexts. Uh, actually, you know, Leah Deloria, the great you know comedian and producer and stuff like that. She talked. She has this. I'll get to the point in a second. She has this great <laughs> take uh, me on a journey going up. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, take a shot. Um, so she um, is doing a documentary about why there's so few lesbian bars left in the United States and why that's detrimental to that community. And she's like, you do need a place to, uh, everybody wants a place they can go and let their shoulders relax. Mm-hmm. And I think I didn't really get to that place just generally until I moved to New York. So that was 16 years ago. Um, and then I think I was, I don't remember who said it, but it was some, maybe another comedian who was like, I've gotten too old to constrict myself to make other people comfortable. Mm. and that was like a really empowering thing for me to think about and I was like oh yeah I don't I've aged out of Wunderkind even though of course we all look very young to white people that makes me laugh actually (laughs) when we always get complimented whenever I get complimented for looking young I usually and it's usually a white person I usually say like you know the majority of the people on this planet live in Asia so (laughs) actually I look average you look old you You. you might hold all the power in this country but let me tell you you age horribly I look like most of the people on this planet cosmic Uh, karma yes um, so I think I think it's um, it fluctuates back and forth, but I would say probably moving to New York because uh, I would joke with my friends that you know it was the least interesting thing to look at on the subway. Um, but you know, if I were a religious person now, my first year in New York was just outrageously bad. It was a tornado landed in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I don't know if you remember that in 2007, or tornado landed. I got bed bugs. I got assaulted on the subway. This is the first eight months of living here, but I was still like, I've made, I've made it. (laughs) (laughs) What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There is a self, there is a resilience factor to it though, too. I think where I found a lot, um, I was prouder of who I was having to go through a bunch of, you know, jump through a bunch of hoops, whether they're racial or whether they're about uh, my sexuality. I was like, okay, I can, I can get through this. I can be self-sufficient and move in this world and take up space and, um, you know, buck the trend of, of certain stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my next question is um, what's the thing that you celebrate the most when you see like that threshold for, adopted Asians, uh, queer folk, queer adoptees, you know, whatever. Like for me, I think it's uh, when people find that moment of self-love because I think whether you're in like just going 
going through wrestling with sexuality or gender identity, whether you're wrestling with, you know, race or those kinds of things, uh, ability or, or however, um, there's like, there's just so much to unpack. And, and when people, especially in marginalized communities, find an, an avenue to love themselves, truly love themselves. Um, I, I just think that's the most wonderful thing in the world, even if it's, you know, it's it's only one step and not, you know, like the, the fullness yet. But what's the thing that you celebrate the most for the communities that you're particularly passionate about? I love that I get to, and I've seen this actually with some people you probably heard of the Asian Leadership Collective. They're based out of the UK and they celebrate food and culture and um, Asian lives in um, England. But I was when I was doing a cooking thing with them. I was like, I love that I get to live in such a big world. Most people's worlds are very tiny. Most people stay close to where they grew up. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pass judgment, but I know for me, I have had a fascinating life because of all these things. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And that's um, and I can authentically um, you know, tap into my mom's Jewish heritage and my dad's southern heritage and my time in New York and um you know, being Korean and Japanese and sometimes Chinese, according to 23 <laughs> <laughs> you know, Depends on the year. It depends on the year. But like, how, not many people actually get to have a world that encompasses all that. I just get to keep adding to it. And that's a very special, that's a very special thing. And that's what I've tried to tell some people who are in the similar situation. It's like, you get two worlds to play in. You get two planets. How great is that? Most people only get one or they get a really a slice of one. Why would right. you want that? Why wouldn't you want access to everything? you know yeah to to instead flip the script of i don't feel like i belong anywhere it's like no you belong everywhere in multiple universes like right so many things are yours because of who you are yeah absolutely i think that that's That's right i can have you know when i you know post my menorah on with the christmas tree blurred in the background with the little uh, mensch on a bench on top of the christmas tree it's like i get to i get to live all these stories and most people have a, again, like I said, like a box, a container um, of what they're used to. They don't have to, but they choose to have that mm-hmm. um, experience. I don't have the choice. But <laughs> now I'm now I'm I'm happy to um, exist in all these spaces all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. How about yeah. that? That's it. <laughs> I was trying not to, but we went there. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. I was like, is that too on the nose? But you went there, so the I'm guest is always right. The yeah. guest is always right. If there's, yeah. if we have one rule on the show, it's the guest is always right. Yeah. <laughs> is it? I don't know. <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah, we actually because this was a last minute uh, scheduling, we didn't have time to send you a snack too. So normally we would go into. Uh, uh, so you have to come back on the portion. show now. So yes, yeah, we. <laughs> yes, I had to come back. Um, I uh, well, like I said, you can choose anything from the show. So I cooked everything from noodle kugel to gingerbread matcha. <laughs> so, oh, that. Not together, not together, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. One thing that was cut, um, because Andy Sandberg is obviously Jewish, and Maya Rudolph is actually comes from a Jewish background. And the first dish I make on it is noodle kugel, which, if you haven't had it, you know, it is a strange concept, you know, sweet noodles. Um, but you know, I said to them, I was like, you know, I guess it's pretty daring or really stupid of me to make something that's not photogenic, you know, for a first thing. And you know, they pretended to barf all over our workstation and everything because it's not it's just not everyone's favorite you know <laughs> i can literally picture them doing that uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean yeah i could tell you lots of funny stories um well we definitely have to have you back on the show um for yeah. some food or just for another yeah. episode because i did not realize we've been talking to you for an hour i thought it'd been about 30 minutes maybe 
love I love it's been such a delight yeah it's been an absolutely incredible conversation I couldn't have asked for a better one coming back from our first guest seriously thank you and I really mean it when I said like you know I wish I had known people you know guys like you growing up it would have made you know so much of that self-actualization and it was just fun um a lot earlier in my life but you know eventually I got there it just took me a few decades yeah we're yeah. Here now. As, and as now we're here and now we're <laughs> yeah, here that's right come to new york do a show you'll have a very big audience there's a there's obviously a big um asian adoptee uh audience here and there's lots of groups and i bet uh you'd be a mega hit well yeah, you we're would, we'd love definitely to. planning on definitely it. want to make that happen for at sure. some point awesome. in the future it's awesome. a plan for the future uh jonah <laughs> yes. where can people find you and connect with you online and be friends with you if you want friends. If you don't, yeah, fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I I always I do want friends slash acquaintances. Um, I have this impenetrable impenetrable handle on Instagram. It's nigh Jonah. You'll never find it. <laughs> <laughs> Tens of followers. I, you know, somebody asked me if like, I blew up after the show. I was like, uh, I did not. <laughs> uh, TikTok is the same. That when I have a few more, and there's actually snippets from the show. TikTok is actually if you um, if you just want to see what like the show is like, it's super cute, and I you know have a bunch of like thirty second clips on there. So that's mm. also Nye Jonah. Um, yeah, so pretty easy to find. It's a rare name, as it turns out. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Um, I think that is it. I don't know how to wrap it because I don't know how the rest of the episode is going to go. We're, uh, oh, we're going to take a break. That's the we'll thing. take a okay. break. We're going to take a break. Okay. And when and we come back, we're going to come back with a food and or drink item. Who knows? It's always a surprise. Who knows? Yeah. Thanks again, Jenna. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. guys. I appreciate you. Gosh, thank God that wasn't recorded. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, everyone, welcome back. Uh, this is a food portion without Jonah. We had to, due to scheduling things, we weren't able to ship him food at some point. So we'll have him back on for a food or something. I don't know. But uh, this is it's just the three of us again. Hello. Um, Nathan. <laughs> How dare you, you explain- steal Nathan's? That's my intro. intro. Oh, you're right. Hey, you're right. I, but but you know what? Intro. I just realized we didn't explain at the top of the episode what John Chi we means in Korean. So Nathan, will you will you explain I that to our listeners that. who are now like an hour and a half in? Sure. Uh, John Chi is um, we're using it as a celebration or feasting of our Korean heritage, and right now is the feasting part. We're feasting Hooray. on a food, <laughs> a snack, a Korean snack. This yeah, one what are we made eating? by Lotte. Lotte. All I know is that it's got Come a big around. pineapple on the front of it, and it looks like a cookie. And I like pineapples, and I like cookies, so I think it's gonna be good. Do you have the Do you have the box? Can you hold up the box? I no, have. I didn't really know that it was pineapple. I didn't know that it was pineapple flavored oh. because the packaging is just green. It looks like a donut. It's very clear oh, to me bag. on yeah. the box. Yeah, it doesn't so show much, but it's like a pineapple just says, cream thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like the yeah. like the wafer, or not the wafer, but the like the Oreo cookies, but not Oreo. Yeah, pineapple flavored. I don't know. Yeah. I'm here for it. <clears throat> oh, that's exactly what they look like. Oh yeah. Oh, they smell good. Ooh, they really smell good. I'm giving it a five huh. on smell. Interesting. Oh, I don't like that. I can't just easily break it in half. Oh, there we go. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I was. Uh... Yep. 
Interesting. Is berry pineapple-y? Maybe too much pineapple. In like an mm. artificial way, but not in a way that's like bad? I don't know. It's not... Hmm. Mm. This I'm is getting hard. a lot of cookie taste, too. The cookie is good. I like good. the cookie taste. <laughs> oh, the, the pineapple might be bad. The pineapple, I think, is the bad part of this thing. I'm eating just the pineapple. Just a pineapple? I don't know. I feel like I'm eating a pineapple, or like a pina colada flavored mm-hmm. um, snow cone if That's it was it a cream flavor, which is not ideal. Yeah. Definitely has some pina colada tones to it. There's uh, six cookies in a single package. And then there They're was... Oreo size, I'm going to say. A little smaller than Oreos, I think. Yeah, so there's six cookies in a package, and then there was at least eight packages in a box. So, yeah. About a lot of cookies. 48 cookies. It's a lot of of cookies, I know. So I'm... That is good math. I'm happy when I can just buy a box and then share the the packages with you guys. It makes it easier. But I don't know. I like it. I mean, I think it's better than some um, Girl Scout cookies, for sure. Wow. Hot take. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I don't um, know. Maybe it's because I've had way too many Girl Scout cookies over the years, and I'm just done with them. Wow! But they do come out that with new Girl Scout cookies, you know. So who buys the new you know, ones? Sorry if any Girl Scouts are listening right now. I no offense. So. How many Girl Scouts are listening? I want to know. <laughs> yeah, call in nine seven two six seven seven eighty eight sixty seven. Say I'm a Girl Scout and I'm offended. Or Is there I'm a, a Girl Korean Scout Girl Scout organization? I wonder. Oh, like the equivalent of a Girl Scout? Yeah, Girl Scouts of America, but Girl Scout Teja Minguk or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the the box just says pineapple, which I didn't know. I don't know what Losain is. That's what the cookie is called. Uh, and then there's a little Korean on the top that says Sankum Dalkom, which I think Dalkom is sweet, if I remember correctly. Um, and then Lote Sende. So I don't know if Lote, if I'm just reading that in the Korean, but it's not how I expected it to be spelt. And then sand, maybe? I don't know. I hate not having a vocabulary, but I'm too lazy to look it up. Um, in the interest of brevity, I, want, I know that you've been with us for a long time, listeners. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. I'm going to give this a, a three out of five, which feel honestly feels a little high. Oh, yeah. uh, I think the, the cookie itself is good. It's a nice biscuity kind of texture. The the pineapple cream filling. Um, I haven't tried to break it apart and just eat it on its own like you would an Oreo, like some might with an Oreo. I don't know if that's like heresy for some Oreo eaters, but um, it does have that pina colada flavor. I'm I generally like pineapple and coconut uh, and like tropical fruits. However, when I get artificial flavors, I tend to have like I start to have like an allergic reaction, and if I have too much of it, it's like not a good deal. And I'm already getting some of that having eaten three cookies, which again is half of the package. So I don't even know that I could finish. I mean, I probably could finish it, but then I'd like really kind of have that like itchy feeling. So it's not bad. It's not great. I'm going to give it a three. You know, I'm going to give it two, 2.75. Hmm. It's above average. It's above middle ground, but, but just barely. So 2.75 <clears throat> for me. Right in the middle. I'm going to, Go back to your three for my rating. I like I like it enough that it's uh I think it's three out of five for me. It's not 
Yeah, it's not a the smell at first I thought it was great, so I was giving that a five. Um, but I don't know. I think it's initial smell rating five. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So yeah, I'll stick with a three. But you're right. I don't feel like I wanna <laughs> I don't know, eat all six cookies like as fast as possible, kind of a thing. I did just right. jump into a fourth cookie because I hate myself. I ate all mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Um, I'm gonna give it a two and a half. So going in slightly on the on the bottom side. Um, only because I'm gonna go straight down the middle with it. I wish that it was a different. I wish it was a vanilla flavor. Hmm. I wish it was a little bit bigger. It could also be a chocolate flavor. So just um, not a pineapple flavor then? Just not a pineapple flavor. That's basically what I'm saying. Nathan, um, you chose poorly. Uh, well, <laughs> I have other chocolate items. Little, it's like on sitting on the back of my tongue. And maybe it's because yeah. I ate all six. Just run one yeah, after maybe. The I mean, I can't always I buy chocolate and problem. vanilla, guys. You know? So Why I got I got to mix in a few of the flavors. We can do repeats. I'm happy to do chocolate, choco pie, Episode 1000. <laughs> wow. Version 1005. Mm. We can do a, a multiple choco pie tasting because there's like, I swear, six or seven flavors now that I've seen. Yeah, there's a lot of flavors out there. Yeah. There is a lot of flavors out there. But, well, I also want to say before we end the episode, um, thank you to Kevin Etheridge. You uh, sent us a little gift before Christmas last year. And uh, we, now that we have finally recorded some episodes, I just wanted to thank you. Uh, he sent us this cute little um, ornament that's uh, wood carving of it's the Chi awesome. Show logo. It is yeah. awesome. And then thank the you, Korea, Kevin. Korean flag Next on the year, other side, when I have so. a tree, I'm going to be very excited to put it on said tree. True. Yeah, very Agreed. appreciative. Thank you so much for listening and for sending us this. So shout out to Kevin for that. But um, yeah, well, on to... Other things, guys. On to a new year, to 2023. Yeah. Pull us out, Nathan, since Kate or since Kathan. <laughs> yep, since Kathan stole your, stole your thunder. <laughs> I am combined. Yes, yeah, stole my thunder. You can find us everywhere on the internet that uh, we want to be found at uh, The John Chi Show. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail, 972-677-8867. You can find us on Facebook after... Uh, marketplace <laughs> what party you don't even remember what the group is called <laughs> the after party i was thinking you of marketplace find us on the black market black market <laughs> the night market um you can find us uh on our website johnchishow.com i think our merch is still working we do not have the new merch up yet but we will once we, we figure will. out that issue. I'm trying my hardest, I promise. Yeah. If not, I, I, I'm tempted to move on to a new service, but we'll see. Um, Damn. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Well, I'm not, I'm not, uh, not blasting the company that we're using yet, so I didn't yeah, say no their sponsors. name. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, where can, where can people find you, Nathan? They can find me Kathan. at Nowak. Yes. And then Kathan at... Uh, <laughs> Instagram. Uh, I bet Kathan is available. Kathan might be. Is that not a bad name? Kathan? It's not yeah. great. No offense <laughs> to any Kathans out there. 100%. See, don't say that. Somebody's got that name. Someone's listening. Somebody's got that name. 
Whatever. You know what? If we get a new listener because someone else said like, dude, they said your name sucks. I'd be like, you know what? I take it. I would take that listener take as well. <laughs> and any feedback that he had. Or they. Yeah. Any feedback they. that they had. Yeah. <clears throat> Where can they find you? What about you, you Kirkpatrick? <laughs> Kirkpatrick. I asked you first. Um, at Patrick in the world on the interworlds. All right. All the places he wants to be found on the internet. My best life. Yeah. You can find him, uh, on LinkedIn as Patrick Armstrong. He's the Asian one. Um, it's been a while since we, when we had that bit, I don't know know if I'm going to keep it going for 2023, but I just wanted to bring it back for just a touch. (laughs) One more time at least. You can Uh, have one more. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found on the internet. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Johnchi. Hey, oh.